0: Well, good morning and welcome to Genesis. We're so glad you're here. And as Mike mentioned, we are going through an Advent conspiracy. Last week we talked about the idea of a conspiracy or those who are gathered together. This isn't a conspiracy theory. We're not going to try and talk about the Illuminati or any other aliens or things like that. What we are doing is conspiring... Yeah, settle down, Alex. What we're doing is conspiring together to... Make Christmas, again, a life-changing and a world-changing event. You know, how did the birth of Christ become so commercial, so materialistic? And how can we take this time and this season and, once again, make it about Jesus? If you have that card, you can read fully. In our hipster language, um, all the things that we are trying to accomplish with the Advent conspiracy. Last week, we talked about how Christ has brought freedom to a world that was in bondage, a world that was in darkness. A great light has come. And we talked about how we needed this rescuing from ourselves, from our condition. And This morning, we're going to be talking about something called inclusivity. I know, I'm sorry, hon, I can't hold you anymore. I know. (laughs) Inclusivity. It's a noun, and it's an intention or policy of including people who might otherwise be excluded or marginalized. And this Advent... We want to acknowledge that what Christ has done has included people who were outcast, who were excluded, who were marginalized. And if you can, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, we're not going to go through the entire genealogy, but I want to touch on a few names here so that we can see exactly what Matthew is trying to do, because Matthew is giving us this genealogy for a reason. It's not just here's the names because he excludes some names and he purposefully includes some names. And one of the first things that we see is we see in verse 1 of Matthew, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now we have to stop there because the fact that he names Tamar is unusual in genealogy at this time you do not mention the women sorry ladies that's how it was you would not mention the women because the genealogy was about the man and his name being passed on but all of a sudden Matthew includes women in this genealogy, and he's doing it for a reason, very purposeful. The names that are listed here, it is to bring attention to something that is happening. And Tamar, as we see in verse 3, she was the daughter-in-law of Judah. You can find her story in Genesis chapter 38, and it's not a pretty story. In fact, it's very sordid. Judah had a son. His son died. His son was married to Tamar. Tamar was supposed to then marry the other son so that she could have children and so that her family could continue. But Judah didn't allow her to have children with this other. Actually, the husband didn't want to have children with her because he didn't want her to bear up his name and his children. And so she was left barren. And Judah told her, you know what, just go be a widow and die in your old age without children, which was a disgrace at that time. She didn't want to do that. She found out that after Judah's wife died, he went into a village and so she disguised herself as a prostitute, went and had a child with Judah. Yeah, that's in the Bible. And you're thinking, man, that is pretty sick. That's in the genealogy. And so we see here in the genealogy of Jesus, the daughter-in-law of Judah, and she is in this line. It goes on, and it says in verse 4, Ram, the father of that guy, Yeah, and the father of Nahashon, Nahashon, the father of Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. In verse 5, we see Rahab. Rahab, we find in Joshua chapter 2, and we know Rahab was a prostitute and she was not an Israelite. She rescued the spies that came in who were going and searching out the land to see where they were supposed to go and what people were there that they had to go through to get to the land that God had promised. And as they went into Jericho, People knew there are spies here. They were searching to kill him. Rahab hid them and she said, just remember me because I know God has given you this land. We've heard about the great things that God is doing. And so when the time came and they conquered Jericho, Rahab and her family was taken. And we see that Rahab here is in the genealogy of Jesus, Boaz's mother. She was not an Israelite. That's specifically put here on purpose. Matthew is telling us something in this genealogy. He's bringing out some things that he wants us to know. That Jesus was not born of this pure Hebrew line. That in this line, there are things that are scandalous. In this line, there are foreigners, people who were not of Hebrew descent, And he's telling us that for a reason. Goes on, says Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. We know Ruth from Deuteronomy chapter 3, and we know that she was a Moabitess. Again, not a Hebrew. The Moabites were enemies at a time against the Israelite people. Why is she in this genealogy? In verse 6, it says, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. We know her as Bathsheba. Uriah was a Hittite. Why doesn't Matthew say, and Solomon's wife Bathsheba, why does he say Uriah's wife? We know the story, right? It's one of those popular ones. David took Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, slept with her. She was pregnant with his child while Uriah was out at battle. David brought Uriah in, trying to get him to sleep with his wife so he could cover up his sin. Uriah was more noble than that, would not sleep with his wife while his men were out in battle. So David slew Uriah on the battlefield And Matthew purposely tells us that in Christ's genealogy is Uriah's wife, Uriah the Hittite, his wife Bathsheba. And what Matthew is doing is letting us know that this Christ who has come, has come not just for A certain people but has come for everyone and in his genealogy there are these women in his genealogy there are these stories that were well known in his genealogy are these foreigners these Moabites these children of foreign people foreign gods because he has come to include everyone. And so let's go to chapter 2. Because the story unfolds. After he talks about some of the things that happened in the beginning. So that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star... They were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, at this time, Jesus is about four years old. I know. Sorry about that whole manger scene that you have on the piano where it's all baby stuff. But Jesus is a little bit older now. He's about four years old. And these magi come and they're people of prominence. Now, it's probably not just a few guys on a camel. They probably come with an entourage. They have to have tents to be able to sleep in at night. And they have to be good size. They have to have supplies. And so there's probably a good entourage coming with them. They're coming from the east, probably Persia, where Iran is, somewhere over there. They're astrologers. They worship the stars. And something happens, and we don't know what. There are people who have said, well, that's when all these planets aligned, and that's what they were following. Some people say, well, no, there was a supernova that exploded, and it was seen. We don't know. Okay, we weren't there, just so we can end that worry about that that's not what the story is about what the story is about is about these foreigners coming because somehow god revealed himself to them and while they were looking for the wrong god they somehow found the right one and as they come to this place they come and they are able to actually have an audience with the king Herod, who was prominent. Now it said that Herod, when he heard this, was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Why was Jerusalem disturbed about this? Because Herod was a wicked and crazy guy. Herod was jealous for his authority. It was said it was safer to be a pig than a child in a son in Herod's household because he would kill his children, worried that they were going to take over his throne. And so he hears there's a king, everyone's like, oh no, this isn't good for us. He's going to go on a rampage, who knows what's going to happen. And so this group, this magi come, have audience with the king, and say, where is this king born of the Jews? We've seen his star. And then they say, I, I don't know. Imagine that. We're coming to the people who should know. And they're unaware And so they get the scribes and they say, well, it's supposed to be in Bethlehem. That's where the child is supposed to be born. And so the Magi are sitting there like, you guys don't know? You didn't get the message? Because we got a message from God saying the child, the king of the Jews was born. We came to, to worship him. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's supposed to be in Bethlehem of Judea but they haven't a clue. The ones who bring about the proclamation of the Messiah are foreigners who worship a foreign God and God somehow reaches them. And so they go and they worship the true God. And they hear from him and are warned in a dream, don't go back to Herod. He's not a good guy. And so they left another route and returned home. And what Matthew is doing is paving the way for us to see what God is doing through his son, Jesus. And what God is doing is bringing people from every facet of life, from every situation into this world recognition of who he is, he's giving an invitation to the world saying, I'm here for you. And he is including the Gentiles, the foreigners, the women, those who were in sinful conditions, those who were in the worst light. He says, I have come for you. And so one of the things we need to acknowledge about this Advent is that God is very inclusive. This isn't for certain people. You don't have to be good enough to be on the team. He has come for you, for you, for you, for them, for the world. Well, you don't know. They worshiped the stars. So did the magi. You don't know what their situation was. And how many people feel that they are not good enough because of what has happened? How many people feel that they cannot be included in this gospel story because what has happened in their past? Well, you don't know. I've been divorced a couple of times. You don't know because I've been involved with this. I've I've had this problem and this addiction. You don't know I've had an abortion. I've had a child out of... You don't know the things I have. And in their minds they're thinking, I can't come to God. I can't come to your God because He won't accept me. And Matthew is telling us, Oh, you are so included. In this story you are so welcome you fit right in with the people that jesus came from you fit right in with the people who god has revealed himself to it doesn't matter who you are you are included in this story this jesus is for you and this message is being proclaimed the whole world is included I read this article yesterday, it was about the band Switchfoot, a pretty popular band, had a a lot of songs, they're well known in the Christian world, but the article was, why doesn't Switchfoot sing Christian songs? And, And so a lot of people have been giving them flack because they're not singing, quote, Christian songs, and so... The lead singer wrote this and he says, there is a schism between the sacred and the secular in all of our modern minds. The view that a pastor is more Christian than a girl's volleyball coach is flawed and heretical. The stance that a worship leader is more spiritual than a janitor is condescending and flawed. And so having this spiritual hierarchy isn't right, it isn't scriptural, it isn't in God's nature. You're not special because you're in this position. And he goes on and he says, none of these songs have been born again. And to that end, there is no such thing as Christian music. Now, I love this because I've been saying this for years. I felt like, yes, he probably heard one of my studies a year ago. (laughs) Uh -uh. There is no such thing as Christian music. There is no such thing as Christian clothing. There is no such thing as Christian radio stations. Jesus didn't die for your shirt. He didn't die for your song. He came for people. He came for you. He came for me. And a t-shirt cannot bring about God's glory like you can. You were created in his image, not your shirt, not your bookstore. There's no such thing as Christian music. No, Christ didn't come and die for my songs. He came for me. Yes, my songs are a part of my life, but judging from scripture, I can only conclude that our God is much more interested in how I treat the poor and the broken and the hungry than the personal pronouns I use when I sing. I love that. I am a believer. Many of these songs talk about this belief An obligation to say this or do that does not sound like the glorious freedom that Christ died to afford me. I do have an obligation. However, a debt that cannot be settled by my lyrical decisions, my life will be judged by my obedience, not my ability to confine my lyrics to this box or that. It's not about the box. It's not about the group It's not exclusive. I am not part of this group and you're part of that group. God is reaching out to the world and he's reached out to me and he's reaching out to you. I don't know you. I don't know where you're at, but I can tell you this. You're included in the story. Paul said that Christ came for sinners and I am the chief. Jesus hung out with the tax collectors, the thieves, the prostitutes that were prostitutes, with the people who were marginalized, who were excluded, and became their friend. And he has come for us. It's important that we recognize this because there is a world around us that is starving for love, There are people around who need help. And we have the ability to give it to them. We're gonna show a short video and then I'm gonna come up and conclude. When I was in junior high school, ninth grade, my senior year, that's what we called it then, junior high school, not middle school, I was voted in our annual the most popular In the school. I was surprised when I found that out. They said, oh, you're the most popular. It was there in the book. And the reason they put me there is because I hung out with this vast variety of people. See, my best friend was black, and so I would hang out with him and his black friends. And I lived in North Hollywood at the time, and he lived in South Central, I think before it was known as South Central. I can remember one time saying, hey, let me, I'm going to go to your house, go stay overnight. And so I rode my bike. I had a Peugeot PX10 <laughs> Alpine derailleurs. It was a great bike. It was my freedom back then. And I, I rode my bike, and I was going down, and I was counting the streets, 52nd Street, 53rd, 140. And he was like, 152nd Street. And I was like, the colors started changing around me, if you know what I mean. All of a sudden, I'm the only white guy around. And I realized that I'm there in his neighborhood, and I go to his house and hanging out with him, and he's my best friend. We went to the park, started playing basketball, and I could hold my own at that time. I was as tall as I am now, and (laughs) I was quick. And I remember they had one of the guys who was there, and his nickname was Whitey, and they'd say, Whitey, throw me the ball, and I'm like, I don't have it. You know, it was just... And so I had my group of friends there, And I also hung out with other people. My girlfriend at at that time, her mom was a famous musician. I didn't know it at the time. I found out later, and then we broke up. But so I hung out with this kind of artsy and stoner crowd, and I, I was friends with these group, and I'd party with these people here. I also had friends who played ball. I loved playing baseball, and so I would go to a park, and I was connected with these jocks over here. And so I was with these group of friends. I also was into the martial arts. And so I had these other friends that were Vietnamese, but because I didn't know any better, I thought all Asians were into Kung Fu, but they weren't. And so I was asking them to teach me Kung Fu, and they were asking me to teach them English. I don't think it worked well for either one of us. But I would hang out with them, and I can remember one friend of mine asking me some things and he said so um is this the way you do that and I said "Uh uh-uh and he looked at me he goes "Uh uh-uh and he goes what uh uh-uh mean I said "Uh uh-uh means no he goes "Uh uh-uh means no I said "Uh uh-huh he goes (laughs) there's about a half hour right there of uh uh-uh and uh uh-huh explaining what that is and so poor guy who knows where he's at today because of me But I had all these groups, and so someone looking outside said, oh, Sam, he knows all these people. But you see, really, if they would have known, instead of labeling me the most popular, they really should have labeled me the most confused. Because I was putting on suit after suit, trying to find out who I was trying to find out where I belong, trying to be connected to something. And I can remember laying in bed at night, just looking up at the ceiling and just being terrified because life had no meaning for me. And what happens if I die and I die without meaning? I felt like my life would be meaningless. And so I tried as hard as I could to find some place where I belonged, And I was friends here, and I was friends here, and you would think as the most popular kid in that school, I wouldn't be so lonely. But I was. Because all these things were just putting on a suit, trying to find a place to belong. But then, there came Jesus, who came to me, and said, hey, I want to be with you. And after I I said, you know what, I I want to be a part of this faith. I, I want to give my life to this person, Jesus. I can remember laying down, and all of a sudden, it was gone. That emptiness, that fear was gone. And I recognize that I actually have a home now. I actually belong somewhere. I've actually been included into the story of God. Because this baby came through this messed up group of people. These foreign people. This God revealed him to these outsiders, these marginalized, excluded people. And he came for people just like me and just like you. And he's brought us into his story so that we can now have a purpose so that now we can be included in his work. And that's exactly what we wanna do. We wanna take what has been done and given to us and now include others in this work. And that's why we've printed out this card that you could give to people or you could be a part of. We also in the back have Celebrate a Reason. A donation has been made in your honor supporting the children of St. Andre's Elementary School and Trenon, Haiti. You can go in the back, make a donation, and you will get a card that you can give to someone and say, here's what we have done for Christmas. Instead of giving you that gift certificate or giving you this, what I've done is in your name given a gift to these children because i wanting to make this Christmas about being purposeful in the lives of those around us. We have raised up to this date about $9,000 for the cafeteria in Haiti. We want to raise more. We have options and other ideas that we want to do to bring more of our community involved with this because I'm not here to just keep pulling money out of you guys. Come on, guys, really, really give. Dig deep. I'm not asking you to do anything extraordinary but to do what we can, and let's include people to be a part of this story. Strangers, foreigners, idolaters, we're the first ones to worship Jesus. The first time we see this worship in Matthew, it's from stargazers. They gave gifts, and then they understood who the Messiah was. We can include people and help them see who the Messiah is because we include them in our worship, and our worship is about including others. And so we want Christmas to be more than just, you know, couples' Christmas dinners, although it's going to be a blast on the 14th. We want it to be more than just potlucks. We want it to be more than just Christmas parties. We want Christmas to be an opportunity to tell people that you too are included in this story, that you also were in mind when Jesus came, right where you're at with who you are right today. God wants to include you just like he included me and it's our opportunity to make that known what would happen if everyone knew that they were included in this amazing story that this Jesus didn't just come for the Christians that this Jesus didn't come just for the Hebrew people that this Jesus came for them That this Jesus died for them. That he came to give them life. What would happen? I want to find out. So let's make this known that everyone is included in this story. Let's pray. Lord, I don't know what it is about us as people that make something so powerful, an event so monumental and so wonderful and turn it into something that is so selfish, so self-serving, so exclusive. But God, you are calling us to reach those who are marginalized, those who have been excluded, to let them know that your love extends to them. You have spelled out so clearly and made it obvious that your reach extends far beyond our mind's limits. And so, Lord, may we take this hope that you give May we recognize this King that was born, was born to bring deliverance to all, was born to bring hope and life to everyone. And may we extend this life in the things that we do, especially at this time, this season. Father, as we, a community, have taken on this work in Haiti, Lord, may we bring others alongside of us to do something that is worth doing, helping kids that need help. Lord, may we represent you well. Thank you for this time, Lord. May we remember throughout the season the importance of keeping our focus true, our hearts sincere, and our love free to all. We thank you and we ask your blessing in Jesus' name, amen.